You know, I have to admit to you that sometimes the order of our lectionary is kind of confusing to me, and maybe you feel the same way too. Just the other day, baby Jesus was lying in a manger, being visited by mysterious royal strangers from the east. But today, he's all grown up and coming down to the river to meet up with his cousin John to get baptized. We know some of what transpired during the intervening years. Joseph moved his young family to Egypt to escape the murderous insanity of King Herod. Later, they returned to more familiar surroundings to make their home in Nazareth. We can imagine that young Christ child hanging around in his father's carpentry shop, you know, getting in the way and making messes. We can picture him studying the Torah as any good little Jewish boy would have done. In the Gospel of Luke, we read at the age of 12, Jesus stayed behind in the temple during a family pilgrimage to Jerusalem. His desperate parents retrace their steps and find their child, who had been lost, lecturing to the high priests on the subject of their own Torah. But our New Testament tells us very little about the actual growing up years of the boy Jesus. While it's true there are some other period authors who provide some additional information, they have not been accepted as a part of our lectionary. For example, there is a, a writing called First Infancy, which deals in detail with the childhood of Jesus. Although it's easy to understand why it's not included in our Bible, because frankly, it does not always describe the young Jesus in an entirely positive light. Whatever may have occurred during Christ's young life, the really important part starts now, with Jesus coming out to be baptized. We could well assume that this was probably no snap decision. He probably thought about it, maybe even for a long time. John had been out in the hot wasteland of a desert, preaching sin and repentance, revival and change. After all, things were really, well, they were really pretty rotten in Israel. Poverty, corruption, and despair were constant. And the golden vision of King David seemed like some sort of old, lost fairy tale. John the baptizer, like one of the prophets of old, had a vision that repentance was required, and in that way, people could begin anew. And the Messiah, the Messiah could then come. This would be the one God would send to restore Israel. John was convinced that this would only happen when enough of the people were behaving themselves and following God's law. Despite his rough appearance and stern message, John had developed quite a following. People came, stood in line, and waited their turn to have their sins washed away by John in the River Jordan. 
Did, did you ever wonder if Jesus had any premonition of what might happen when he met John at the river? Maybe yes or maybe no. Could be he really wasn't expecting anything special and just wanted to visit with his cousin after this arrival. Jesus probably just stood and watched for a while. All those people coming to John as he stood there in the river, they were asking him for their salvation. When he felt the time was right, Jesus joined the line and he stepped into that river. When it was his turn, John must have recognized him right away. But it wasn't just his cousin that John saw. It was so very much more. At first, he was startled, even a little shocked, and declined to baptize Jesus, saying that Jesus should be the one doing the baptizing. But Jesus seemed to understand that it had to happen in just this way. And at his insistence, John consented and lowered Jesus down into the water. Then, at the moment Jesus was lifted up, we are told that something mysterious happened, something that we can call a genuine mystical experience. Some said they saw the heavens open up and a pure white dove come down to descend on Jesus. Some said they heard a voice saying, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Like many of you, I was baptized as an infant. The event took place in my grandmother's small town Baptist church. I'm reasonably certain that following that event, there were no white doves and probably no voices coming from heaven. At least, if so, it's not mentioned in my baby book which commemorates that event. It's likely these events also did not occur at your baptism. But be assured, something special did happen at the time we were baptized. And looking back on the event, we might find that it wasn't birds and it wasn't voices. It was special, but different. Allow me, if you will, to assure you that in that moment, when that holy water splashed against your forehead, something very special did happen to you. And each and every one of us is where it happened. In that precious moment, we were all united in the body of Christ. And we all share in some of the same ministry to which he was called. In a few moments, we will renew together our baptismal covenant. Each of us 
will be asked to affirm that we will, with God's help, undertake a series of responsibilities to continue in the apostles' teaching, to proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ, to seek and serve Christ in all people, to strive for justice and peace among all people. These are the ministries shown on earth by Christ, taught by the apostles, and expected of us at the time of our baptism. But just as Christ's ministry was unique to him, each of us are called to our own special ministry. Part of our life after baptism is to discern just who we are called to be and live into that calling as fully as we can with God's help. This season of Epiphany is a good time to remember our role as the body of Christ in mission to the world because, let me reassure you, it really doesn't matter if anyone saw a dove light on you or if a voice was heard saying it over you. You are a child of God, a beloved one. And with you, God is very well pleased. Amen. <laughs>